no handbook for your child's health, but we do have a podcast featuring world-class clinical and research physicians covering everything from your child's allergies to zinc levels. This is Kids HealthCast by Weill Cornell Medicine. Our topic today is screen time and social media, and my guest is Dr. Moitri Savard. She is the site medical director of primary care in Long Island City and an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics and medicine at Weill Cornell Medicine. Dr. Savard, I'm so glad to have you and what a great topic this is. Tell us what's happening with kids in this digital media world. Is it making them smarter, more worldly? Do you feel it's positive? Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited to be talking about this topic as a mother of a 15-year-old and an almost 10-year-old. I get it. The world has changed tremendously in the last decade. The Pew Research Center estimated last year that almost 80% of Americans owned a smartphone. When I was in college, my quote-unquote portable Mac weighed almost 20 pounds. Now the vast majority of Americans have an incredibly powerful computer in their back pocket. The access to information made possible by the Internet and these devices is amazing. On the one hand, this can promote learning and exposure to new ideas, but they can also provide increased opportunity for new connections and support via social media. On the negative side, um, remember how we used to know everybody's phone number by heart? There's knowledge that we used to commit to memory that we just don't bother with anymore as everything is just a tap away. There are also negative health effects on sleep, uh, attention, learning, obesity, depression, access to inappropriate content, misinformation, and privacy issues. So whether or not it's an overall positive is very debatable. I think kids are definitely more worldly today, but I would argue that the attention effects are not making kids smarter. There are many tasks still in the world that require a focus that is becoming harder and harder to muster. So as we're talking about the time factor that they spend on their phones. Can they become addicted to their smartphones? Well, research has shown that teenagers currently spend about eight hours a day on their phones, um, which is way more than the recommended amount of about two hours. Um, it, as, it is actually possible to be addicted. Um, there have been some calls to include the, the term nomophobia, which is the fear of not having access to your mobile phone in the DSM um, diagnosis uh, manual, which is the manual of mental disorders that um, healthcare professionals uses. It's not in there right now, but enough people are noticing that this exists. Um, there are ways that you can figure out if you have an unhealthy relationship with it. Um, there are online quizzes. If you just Google, am I addicted to my smartphone? They have questions such as, um, do you find yourself mindlessly passing time on a regular basis by staring at your cell phone? And um, do you take your phone into the bathroom? Um, Scholastic, which is a very trusted, um, you know, uh, teaching uh, source for pediatricians and parents, they have a good article targeted towards teenagers that can help them break the addiction. If you Google Scholastic cell phone addiction, it's, it's a good article that really talks to teenagers about how they are using their phone and ways to disconnect from them. So when they can become addicted and whether or not there is a positive or a negative effect, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the psychosocial aspects of this all, 
But screen time, Dr. Savard has changed over the years. It used to be that the AAP recommended no more than two hours of screen time. Well, back then that was TV. Now they need, I mean, my daughter was doing all of her finals and her essays on her computer, and they need to sit on their screens for schoolwork. And screen time is totally different. FaceTime is one thing, and YouTube is another, and the television, which they barely watch, is another. How do we even determine what's screen time anymore? Right. Well, it has changed tremendously. Like you said, in in our day, it was very much just, you know, hours spent in front of the TV, which is why the, you know, the guidelines have changed. Because um, in the same way, my son has most of his um, project-based assessments all due on the computer and the phone. And his teachers are constantly struggling with that because they're using it as a tool, but they also recognize that that tool can be used in in many different ways. Today, um, you know, you, in addition to TV, you have video games with like mind-blowing graphics, Um, you know, full-length movies in the comfort of your home or on the go, social media with like bullying and shaming, FaceTime and Skype you know, with uh, real-time interactions and, uh, you know, work and like school emails where an inadvertent like reply all could be a career killer. So it's, screen time has made the world more accessible and also made it harder to get away from the world. Um, I was recently at a conference where attendees were given a sleeping bag for their phones where they were encouraged to, quote unquote, put technology to sleep in order to wake back up. Um Frankly, I didn't do it as I needed to keep in touch with my children who were back home and to take notes and pictures of the slides during presentations. But, you know, children sometimes have to make this choice. And, you know, I'm using this um, computer or the phone to do schoolwork. And sometimes it's helpful for them to be in a space where you can actually see what they're doing. A lot of families have, you know, computers in common spaces. So that, you know, when you're doing work, you're not, you know, aimlessly on YouTube or on social media. So, you know, that is one way to handle the need for these devices for, you know, work that we have to do in terms of homework and uh, other projects in school. How true. What good points. So what age is it okay to let them start. I mean, I didn't get my kids' cell phones till they were 13 years old, but by that time they were screaming about it. So, and how also, while you're answering that question, Dr. Safard, how involved should we be? Are we supposed to be looking at their texts? Are we supposed to be friends with them on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever? Or do we start from a place of trust? How does that all work? So the American Academy of Pediatrics has clear evidence-based guidelines, evidence-based guidelines on the ages um, um, where you should have interaction with uh, screens. It's recommended that toddlers um, under 18 months um, not have screen time, frankly, unless it's for video chatting, you know, to like, you know, say hello to grandma and grandpa. Um, After 18 months, they recommend high-quality children's programming. This is the stuff that you and I grew up on, um, PBS like Sesame Street. It's recommended that you watch with your children in order to help them understand what they are seeing. Um, For children ages two to five, they say limit the screen time to about one hour of high quality programming per day. Again, patients, I mean, parents should watch with their children at this age. 
many shows will cover topics such as bullying and caring for the environment. Pick up on these themes and then bring them up throughout your interaction with your children. Um, for children six and older, place consistent limits on the time spent on appropriate media and make sure that there is consistent time for physical activity and sleep. Um, as an anecdote in my house, our 10-year-old does not get time on her iPad during the week, and frankly, she's too busy. She regularly has after-school activity, homework, piano practice, dinner, has to take a shower, and she reads before bed. So that's like four to five hours of like you know prescribed, dedicated activities. And on the weekends, we give her some flexibility to spend a couple of hours on TV and her iPad once we've gone through her to-do list that usually involves household chores and some physical activity. Um, also, in our house, media is not allowed at mealtime. Um, we do allow in the car sometimes for, like, you know, music and games to, to shorten a trip. But really, if there's, like, you know, something, like, you want to talk to as a family in the car, we'll, you know, we'll turn that off for a while. And they listen. They know that, you know, we are paying for their devices, and we have very strict guidelines about when they can and cannot be used. And in terms of the phone, when do your preteens or teens get a phone? Usually you find that there is something going on in their lives or school that require it. Um, my son was taking the bus by himself and walking back and forth to the bus. And I, I needed to be able to contact him. So we got him a flip phone. We weren't ready to actually go the smartphone route, and we didn't until about eighth grade when we felt like he was a little bit more responsible and able to uh, able to handle the um, the things that, you know, become open to you once you have one of these smartphones. And in terms of social media and texting, we, I think it's fine. And, you know, my, my teenager and I had a discussion about this. I think it's nice to be able to be a friend of your, you know, teen on um, Instagram or, you know, whatever, whatever um, uh, site that they are using. So you can kind of see what their posts are about and you can like, you know, like them and promote pictures of them. I think for texts, um, my husband and I decided that it is important to give our teenagers some privacy. And unless, like, you know, you are, you know, very concerned about something going on where they're going to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, I mean, this is the, the equivalent of when we used to call our friends at home, and it would be as if, like, somebody had picked up another line and was listening in. So we do let them have um, privacy with the text, but we also kind of, you know, monitor them, monitor their moods, get, get a sense of, you know, what is going on in their lives. Um, we have this uh, habit in our house where we discuss a rose and a thorn. You know, what happened during your day? What was, you know, sweet-smelling rose? What was difficult for you? And if you're finding that your child is constantly talking about, you know, something that happened or something that's, you know, really bothering them or somebody's picking on them, maybe be a little bit more, you know, involved in their activities and kind of get a sense, is this something going on at school that you should be involved with. What great advice. I mean, we know that the main message here, Dr. Savard, is communication is key. How do you want us to keep those lines open? 
when they're constantly staring down at the phones and we we know we have to be good role models and not do the same and no texting and driving and not sit there at meals with our phones. But drama for these kids is common and we need to know mm-hmm. about it. So give us your best advice for keeping those lines of communication open. And then we'll talk about, you know, finishing up for screen time. Sure. I mean, I think that digital drama is very common. And I think it's helpful to put it in perspective. Um, Share your own mean girl story and explain to them that there will be bumps in the social road and people will like, you know, unfriend you and, you know, be, you know, really just mean, you know, sometimes on social media. And I think that when you talk to um, your children, make sure that they have a good sense of sense of self and who they are and, you know, what they are, you know, what they are good at and what a good person they are. It's important to be able to prop our children up and um, support them because it can be, it can be very difficult out there. Some of these um, behaviors, like for example, the Snapchat swipe, um, those are, those have been shown to give us same, the same brain response as some controlled substances. Um, it releases dopamine, you know, and I think you have to have an open, you know, line of communication with your child, understanding that these are addictive behaviors and that, you know, looking for likes or getting those um, Snapchat swipes are actually changing um, responses in their brain. And I got to tell you, teenagers hate being controlled. So you explain to them that their phones are actually controlling them in certain ways. And I think that that might help a little bit, too. Yeah, that's really great advice. So as we wrap up, what would you like parents listening to know about screen time and social media and cyberbullying and sexting and communicating with our kids so that we know what it is they're doing on that screen time and it can actually be a positive thing that helps them go further and lead a healthier life? Sure. So um, I think it's important to talk to them about what they are seeing on their devices. And regardless of how strong your filters are, or if you've put in, you know, screen time restrictions, sometimes um, teenagers will be on somebody else's device and see, you know, inappropriate content. Having a very um, frank conversation with your child about the behaviors that they are seeing online not being real behaviors. There is um, violence against women and men and demeaning behavior. And, you know, having an open conversation with him, uh, with them about, you know, this not being the real world and explaining to them how harmful this kind of behavior is. And I think it's important that we can use these devices um, to um, counteract some of the problems with attention. For example, there are apps that help with mindfulness. Many schools now are um, teaching mindfulness in the second and third grade where students really understand ways to calm their mind and control their breathing. Use that phone and download an app like Headspace where they learn these techniques. And so you can, like, you know, use these devices and this technology in a very positive way. And Finally, again, like you mentioned, we have to be the change that we want to see in the world, um, model that behavior. Um, as a busy family physician, I'm constantly on my phone 
constantly on my computer, well, maybe that there is a time and a place for that. When everybody is home from school um, in the evening and we're talking about that day, um, those devices can go away and, you know, everything can just wait, you know, an hour or two while we work on dinner and check in with each other to kind of see, you know, how, how people are. So that kind of, you know, interaction that those discussions are invaluable. So I just want to make sure that parents realize that they're not going away, but they do not have to be the um, sole focus of uh, your relationship, you know, with your child, that they, your children still want to hear from you and modeling behavior for them is the best thing that you can do. What great information and so important for parents to hear. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Moitri Savard, and to our listeners. This concludes today's episode of Kids HealthCast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Wild Cornell Medicine podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole. Rehabilitation medicine can help patients with a wide array of disorders and diseases, including cancer. If cancer care is of interest, listen to CancerCast, while Cornell Medicine's dedicated oncology podcast featuring leaders in the field and patient stories, CancerCast highlights dynamic discussions about the exciting developments in oncology. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.